I'm going to get right into the message this morning. Um, I, I mentioned to you last Sunday morning that I feel like the Lord has really given me a mandate this year to, to teach on faith and, uh, and help us get our faith to a higher level in the Lord. But to do that, I need to lay a foundation. And so for the next uh, couple of weeks, maybe more, I'll be talking to you about the kingdom because faith is actually the language of the kingdom of God. It's the language that we speak. Um, that, uh, you know, God just spoke the whole world into existence. And when, when he speaks, things happen. And God has given us the marvelous uh, thing of language where we can communicate it's one of the things that sets us apart from the animal kingdom. I know there's some people that believe you're just animals, but I'm, he- I'm here to tell you this morning, animals are one kingdom that God made, and then he made you in his likeness and in his image. And he did something to you that he didn't do to the animals, and that is he breathed his spirit into the human family and gave us life and gave us the ability to choose and to think and to communicate and um, there are certain animals in the in in the animal kingdom that can mimic things that they've learned but they can't communicate like we can and uh, so we have that marvelous communication and and we'll be talking about the language of the kingdom in a few weeks but right now I want to as I said I want to today's message is just about kingdom And I want to take you to the sixth chapter of Matthew, verse 33. I hope you'll memorize this verse of Scripture because I'm going to be using it over and over and over and over and over again because it's so vitally important. And I think everyone in here can memorize this Scripture quickly. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me a couple times. I just want you to get it in your spirit as we start today. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Would you just read that with me? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Can we do that again? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. First of all, I want to define the kingdom. What is a kingdom? We have a, our, our Western mindset, especially as citizens of the United States, it's not, um, it's not something that's, you know, just second nature with us to talk about kingdom because we don't live in, in a, a government that's set up as a kingdom. We live in a republic. Now, I know some people will say, no, 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 we live in a democracy. No, we don't. We have a democratic form of government, which means that we vote. That's democracy. We vote, but uh, we vote on people to represent us. We have a representative form of government, and it's called a republic. Remember, unto the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. This is a republic. So it's not in our mindset the kingdom kind of government. In, in the natural sense. So let me define it first for you. First of all, a government is a, a kingdom is a state or government having a king or queen as its head. In a true kingdom with a king ruling or a queen ruling, 
what they say is just, that's it. I mean, there's no voting on what they say. What they say is, is like an edict, or it is an edict. They, they speak, and that's the law that's run by a kingdom. In the kingdom of God, however, the sphere of God's rule is where his kingdom is. And the sphere of his rule is dependent upon where men give him dominion. And I'll explain the why of that in a little bit. And so the third definition, and this is the one I like best because it's mine. The <laughs> uh, kingdom is the sphere of the king's dominion. In other words, wherever that is that the king has dominion, that is the kingdom. So we've defined the kingdom. Let's now look at the kingdom declared. 280 times in 260 chapters of your New Testament, some form of the word kingdom is used. First of all, 160 times the very word itself, kingdom or plural, kingdoms, is, is used. And then there's another 120 times that the word king or kings is used. And obviously they go together. Uh, a king wouldn't be a king if he didn't have a kingdom. And there wouldn't be a kingdom if there wasn't a king. So those are together. So that means that 280 times in your New Testament, you're going to run into this phrase or this word kingdom. It holds a very prominent place as a subject in the New Testament. You know, sometimes you can you can read in your Bible and just read right over the top of things and, and they don't speak to you. Um, how many of you have experienced this? Maybe you've read the New Testament over and over and over and over and over again. I lost track of how many times I've read through the Bible. Um, <coughs> I started reading through the Bible when I was just a boy and uh, tried to read through it at least once a year every year. And, uh, and then a lot of times more than that. I know one, one year, a few years ago, I just really felt um, like I really wanted to just submerge into the New Testament. And so I read the New Testament through on my knees aloud every 30 days. You can do that by reading three chapters three times a day. That's nine chapters a day. You'll read the New Testament through every 30 days. And I wanted to read it out loud because faith comes by what? hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, so every month I just read through the, the, the New Testament out loud. And, and so I've read, but for some reason, as many times as I've read my Bible through, and especially the New Testament, um, that the, this kingdom thing has not been as prominent to me as it has recently. And, and I'm, I'm asking you, how many of you have had that experience where you'll read through the Bible and you've read it over and over and over again, but all of a sudden a word or a phrase or something will just leap off of the page at you. It'll just, it'll just grab your attention. And, and you, you'll look at it and say, well, I've read that 10 times. Or I've read that 30 times. Or I've read that 50 times. I've read that over and over and over. But for some reason at that moment, it jumps out at you. Well, let me tell you, kingdom should jump out at us because it's used so many times. Actually, the, the word, some form of the word kingdom is used so many times in the Bible that it has the equivalent of being used in every single chapter of the word of God and then some 280 times in 260 chapters 
So this, this word is prominent in the New Testament. So we ought to look at it and take notice of it. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his teachings, many of his teachings, much of his teaching and preaching was in the form of parables. In fact, they, uh, it's estimated that at least one-third, between one-third and a half of the preaching and teaching of Jesus that's recorded for us was given in the form of parables. And most of those parables, if not all of those parables, had something to do with the kingdom of God. Many of them are what we refer to as kingdom parables. There's uh, over 33 parables. Um, there's, there's disputes as to, uh, as to some of them, whether were parables or actual events. And, and so at least 33 parables that Jesus gave us in the Word. Um, and, and some have estimated up to 54. So uh, a lot of parables. But, but there's some, for example, if you go to the 13th chapter of Matthew, you'll find a whole list of parables that start off like this. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, there's no question about that. That's a kingdom parable. Would you agree with that? I mean, when Jesus starts off in in the introduction of a parable, he says, and the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells a story, a parable that that shows you what the kingdom of heaven is like. There there are many of those uh, in, in the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ that we refer to absolutely. I mean, there's no question about those are kingdom parables. So Jesus talked much about parables. In fact, he, in parables about the kingdom. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, he explained to his disciples what he was doing with all of these parables and especially these kingdom parables. And he did that in response to a question. Now, I know that, that uh, we may have the idea that when Jesus taught that the disciples were just so enthralled with his teaching that they dared not question anything. But, but that's not the way it was at all. I mean, these, guys, these, these are all people. Jesus came, uh, God in the flesh, and he walked with these guys and talked with these guys. And, and, and they interacted just like you would with a group of friends. And so sometimes the disciples just ask him questions. And one of the questions that they asked him was about all these parables. Let's read it. Matthew 13, look at verses 10 and 11. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? You see the humanity of this? The disciples said, scratching their head. They said, we've heard a lot of preachers. We've read a lot of prophets. And, and it, but, but you keep coming up with all these parables. Why do you do this? That, they're asking Jesus. Now, I know you and I wouldn't ask him anything like that. You know, we, but they did. They, why, why are you doing this? So he answered them and said to them, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of of the kingdom of heaven but to them it's not been given now what's he saying here jesus is saying that there's some people that follow me and the only reason they follow me is for some loaves and fishes in fact jesus said that himself one time he turned around and asked me what do you you follow me for loaves and fishes so there were some people, the only reason they followed Jesus was to see what they could get. They, wasn't, they weren't really interested in selling out and becoming a real disciple of Jesus Christ. They just, they liked the crowd. They liked the entertainment. They liked uh, fish sandwiches. 
<laughs> and so Jesus said, I'm using these parables because people that aren't really serious, they'll just say, well, that sounded good, and they'll eat their sandwich and go home. But there's another group of people that are following me. And these are folks that are latching on to every word, just like you disciples. You're saying, why, why did you say that? And they, they question Jesus a lot of times. You, you remember sometimes after he would give a parable, they'd come to him later and say, we're not sure that we got all that. Would you explain it in a little more detail? And Jesus would go into detail and talk to them more about those parables, explain it to them. These are people that are following Jesus because they're serious about becoming a part of his ministry. They're serious about latching on to everything he's saying. And Jesus said, I'm giving these parables so those of you that are really serious about following me will do the in-depth study that's necessary so that I can give to you the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. How many of you would like to get in on some of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Anybody? Yeah. Well, the Lord wants you to do that. But you've got to be a serious follower of Jesus. Lukewarm folks are never going to get this. But people who are really on fire for God and will go after, they love the word and hunger for the word and they go after it, they're going to see some of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. They're going to understand some things that other people, they just don't get. And so Jesus gives it to us. He's not trying to withhold anything from us, but he wants us to be serious about it. I was listening to Dan Betzer last night, and Dan Betzer said, uh, I guess one of his board members said to him, you know, pastor, it seems to me like the older you get, the more you study and preach about heaven. And he, he said, you're absolutely right, because the older I get, the more I want to know more about where I'm going. I, getting ready to go there. Amen. Want to know more about it. Well, listen, folks, we're going to live in the presence of the Lord forever. And, and if you're really serious about that, you're going to want to know more about it. So he declares the kingdom over and over and over and over. Now, the third and final point of my message, and I know you think I'm going fast because I am. I'm trying not to hold you all afternoon. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go at a decent hour today. But let's, let's look at the kingdom discussed. Now, here's the important thing. I can talk to you about the kingdom all day long, and, and, and we can study about it. But if it's just some historical data, um, it's good knowledge to have. But that's as far as it, if, if that's as far as it goes, a lot of you won't be interested in that because everybody doesn't love history. Did you know that? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of folks just don't care much about history. Uh, think about it, man. When you're in we all have our, some people just love to read. Some people love English. Some people love mathematics Math- <laughs> and, and algebra and geometry and trigonometry and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, a lot of times it's kind of one or the other. People that excel in one are not, you know, quite as good in the other. And, and, and so, some people just love history. I'm, I'm one of those guys that just, I just love history. I just love to, when I was a little boy, my, my dad bought a book for himself and it, I wound up taking it from him. It was a great big thick book, The History of World War II. And, and that fascinated me and I, I still got it. Sometimes I still pull it down because not only did it 
didn't have the history of the war, but it had a lot of good pictures in it. Uh, and it, I liked, I liked to see what Douglas MacArthur looked like and Dwight L. Eisenhower looked like back in those days and the, the Battle of the Bulge and all, all those things. I, I was fascinated by that. I like history. Everybody doesn't like history. There's some other things I don't like. I don't like algebra. I don't like trigonometry and I don't like geometry. You can have it. But we need that too. You see what I'm saying? So if it's just history that we're studying here about the kingdom, it's not going to affect everybody. What I want to do for the next few minutes this morning is to tell you how this affects your everyday life. I believe, I believe that would include all of us, wouldn't it? How, does, how do these teachings that Jesus gave us about the kingdom, how does that affect where we live today? How is that going to affect me when I walk out of here this morning and, and leave and go my way and tomorrow I'm facing other things in life and dealing with the here and now and, and the mundane and, and sometimes the rotten here and now, you know? Um, so, so what are we going to do with that? First of all, I want to tell you how it affects your daily life, your daily life. I want to go back to Matthew chapter six. Okay. And I, and I want to take several verses of scripture. I'm going to begin at verse 24. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon there literally means money. You can't serve God and money. Now, here's what Jesus is saying, and please get this, because this, this is very key to this whole series for the next few weeks that we're talking about. Jesus is giving us insight on the fact that there are two major kingdoms in this world today. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of this world, and it's dominated by Satan, and it's pretty well run by money. You understand that? Much of the kingdom of this world, if not all of the kingdom of this world, is run by money. Money, greed, that's power. Oh, it's run by money. Jesus said, you need to make up your mind which kingdom you want to be a part of. Because, see, we have a choice in this matter. This, this, this is not like... This is not like Napoleon has just conquered our country and, and you're going to be a servant of this kingdom whether you like it or not. No, 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 no. It's not like this. God made us free moral agents and we have these two kingdoms and we decide which kingdom we're going to be a part of. It's up to us to make that decision. So, so Jesus said, you, you, you got to make it up your mind. The next verse starts off with the word, Therefore. You remember, I've always said, anytime you see a therefore, see what it's there for. And it always refers to something behind it. Just based on what Jesus has just said, two kingdoms, you got to serve one or the other. You can't serve both at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Therefore, I say to you, now he's talking to those that are following him. Those of you that want to be a part of the kingdom of God, are you ready for this? I say to you, do not worry about your life. Just don't do it. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of the world, you, you can worry yourself to death. 
You, you can do that if you want to do it. But if, therefore, if you're going to choose to be a part of the kingdom of God, this is not a suggestion. This is not a good idea. This is a command from Jesus. If you're going to live in my kingdom, stop worrying about your life. Just stop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you're going to serve God, quit worrying. <laughs> don't, don't worry about your life. And then he breaks it down. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about your body, what you shall put on. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? And, and, and then he gives us a little, little something to ponder here. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And he gives another. Which of you by worrying can add one cubic to your statue? Now, here's the thing. Before we can walk by faith, we've got, to, we've got to stop worrying. Because faith and worry do not work together. In fact, they work against one another. They negate each other. So, we got to start this morning dealing with this thing of worrying. By the way, he says it three times in these verses. Do not worry. Look at verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown to the oven, will he not much more clothe you Oh, ye of little faith. See, there, there's faith. He said, if you're worrying, your faith is low. Little faith. Little faith. We need much faith. With the shaking that's going on in this nation and the world in 2018, we need more faith. Amen? So let, let, let's... Let's make up our mind this morning. Are we going to be in the kingdom of God or are we going to live for the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of Satan? And if we're going to be in the kingdom of God, let's stop worrying about our life. If God can take care of birds, he can take care of you. If God can clothe the earth with the beauty of the lilies of the valley, God can clothe you. So stop worrying about what you're going to eat. Stop worrying about what you're going to drink and stop worrying about what you're going to wear. Verse 31, therefore, here it is again, therefore, again, because of what I just said, here's the command again, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. Here's my text. Say it with me. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> if, you, if when I read my text earlier, you read it with me, if you wonder what all those things were, here's what all those things are. Food, clothing, and shelter. Aren't those the basic needs of life? And he said, stop worrying about your life. Your basic needs are taken care of. 
not will be, are. Your heavenly father already knows what you need. He's already taken care of those things. So stop worrying. Now, in this part, in this last section, when he says, so stop worrying, don't worry saying, (laughs) he helps us get things started. I know there's some of you sitting here this morning, you are professional at worrying. I mean, you're right up there. If we were to have a contest, if we were to have a nationwide contest, there's some of you that could, you'd get a prize right up there. I mean, you get national recognition because you know how to worry. You worry about everything. And, and your feedback to me will say, now, preacher, you just don't understand. I, I, I just, I can't just stop worrying for heaven's sakes. I mean, mom and daddy taught me to worry. And their mom and daddy were worriers. And the, and the, and the people before them were worriers. Some of you may be too young for this expression, but they used to call them worry warts. Anybody remember that? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so you can't just, you, you can't, you, you just don't understand, preacher. I just can't stop my mind from worrying. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll agree. This is going to, that's why this is going to be a series. We're going to learn some things. This is a learn process. I don't expect you this morning to walk out of here and never worry again. But I do expect you before this year is out to be to the point in the Lord where you say, I'm just not going to worry about it. I've learned to cast my cares on the Lord. I realize that my heavenly father takes care of me. And I'm not going to worry about what I eat and what I drink and what I, I, I'm just not going to worry about it anymore. We can get there, but here's where it starts. (laughs) While you may not be able to shut it down in your mind this morning, you can shut it down in your mouth. Amen. We, we, this is where we start. So do not worry saying it's time for us to start, stop saying what we're worried about. I hear people all the time saying, I'm worried to death about, you know, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about your your, your house, you're worried about your job, you're worried about, you're just worried about everybody and you're worried about everything. And And worry will kill you. Worry will affect your health, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health. There are people who have worried themselves to death. They, they, they gone on ahead of us. Now, this may not keep you out of heaven, but it'll keep you from living on the level that God wants you to. So let's deal with it. Now, folks, I know that if you listen to the news, there's always going to be something that's shoveled right out there for you to worry about. Somebody... Somebody told me this morning that, that a lot of people in Hawaii repented yesterday. <laughs> at least for 30 minutes. Can you, can you, seriously, can you imagine 
I thought about it. Those blessed people in Hawaii, our brothers and sisters in Hawaii this morning, do you realize they got a they got an alert on their phone that said a nuclear warhead is is headed your way and and this is this is no joke. I mean it it was serious. <laughs> that 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 you can have revival in a time like that. I know, and I, I, I know because, again, most of you are too young to remember this, but when, when the Cuban crisis came on in the, in the 60s, I preached a revival in Jacksonville, Florida. Boy, I had military people getting saved right and left. They thought we were fixing to go to war with Cuba. And, uh, <laughs> but there's always going to be something. When my wife and I, we're pastoring our first church in the early 70s. We had a little baby boy that just had been born in 71, right? Not too terribly long before we went to that church to pastor. And I remember the World Society of Scientists. These are the most brilliant people in the whole world. They were meeting in Geneva, Switzerland, and they released a report to the news worldwide that within 10 years, because of the population explosion, there will not be enough food on planet Earth to sustain the population. And there's going to be worldwide starvation within 10 years. My wife and I really had to work to pray to get through that and get over that. My wife said to me, how are we going to feed our baby? What, what, uh, how, how, what are we going to do? There's always something to put fear in you. I'm so glad they sang that song a while ago about being delivered from fear. Amen. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to give in to that. You, you can start this morning by, by not saying anymore what you're afraid of and saying anymore what you're worried about. Just stop saying it. Just stop saying. Start saying something else. In fact, Jesus said, your heavenly father knows what you need. And he's already made provision for what you need ahead of time. In the 70s, they told us there wouldn't be enough food. And here we are, the turn of another century. Here we are in the year 18 of this new century, and, and, and you're throwing away food. There, there's food enough. Don't believe all this stuff. Don't get shook up by all of this. Good night alive. I can remember years ago when they told us that, that, that the, the, the planet was cooling down and we're going to have another ice age and we're all going to freeze to death. Everybody's scared we're going to freeze to death. And then, then they come around, turned it around, and now we're afraid we're going to burn up because global warming. Global warming's been a problem till the last few weeks. So now they, they don't know what to say. They're just calling it climate change. Well, I can agree with that because there's always been climate change. It, it ebbs and flows. It's always, as long as there's been time, that's happened. 
It's going to cool down a little bit. It's going to warm up a little bit. It's going, but it, no matter what happens, your heavenly Father cares about you. And he cares more about you than you care about your children. And if your heavenly Father cares that much about you, your heavenly Father has already made provision. He just wants you to trust him. Anybody willing to trust him? Well, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to stop saying what you're worried about. If you feel worry, take it to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I refuse to let that come out of my mouth. I am not going to say what I'm worried about. I'm casting this care on you because I know you care for me. And I know, I, know, I know my heavenly father knows that I have need of these things. God knows I need clothes. God knows I need food and water. God knows I need shelter. God knows what I need. God knows. God knows. So God knows and he cares and he cares about what he knows about. And he knows about you so he cares about you. So he'll take care of you. Now, how does this affect my prayer life? In Matthew chapter 6, I'm staying with this 6th chapter. By the way, this 6th chapter is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is the largest, lar longest recorded sermon that we have that Jesus gave us. Takes up Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is right in the heart of it. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so Jesus taught them to pray. He gave them what we referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6. It begins at verse 9. He taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, he taught us to begin our prayer with praise. Psalmist David said in the 100th Psalm, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come in, uh, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. So Jesus said, you need to start your prayer with praise. And then, I want you to get this. Before you ask your heavenly father for anything else, this should be number one on your priority list of things that you pray for. Jesus said, when you pray, say, give us today. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. He said that before he said, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, and I, this may be a learning experience for all of you this morning, but this is how Jesus told us to pray. He said the first thing, top priority on your prayer list, ought to be the kingdom of God. Why? He told us in verse 33, you know, our text, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. So you start your prayer. should be top on your pri prayer priority list for every man, woman, boy, girl in this house. And I hope, I hope you'll begin with it today. The first thing you need to pray is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow. Man, that's no problem to pray. 
Because hear me this morning, church. If his kingdom comes and his will is done in your life on this earth like it is in heaven, I'm here to tell you there is no lack in heaven. There are no needs in heaven. Everything's taken care of in heaven. Glory to God. There's no sickness in heaven. It covers the whole gamut of everything you need. It covers it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I started years ago. This, this is the first thing I do when I get up every morning. The very first thing I do when I get up. And I know most of you think because I'm an early riser that I get up full of joy and just, you know. but I wake up and this, this has been going on for many, many years. I, I always wake up before the alarm goes off and, and I always shut it off. It's rare that my alarm ever goes off, but I wake up and, and I sleep on this side of the bed. So when I turn to get out of the bed on this side of the bed, usually my left leg says, I don't want to get up. And I say, get up anyway. My left leg says, no, I got up first yesterday. Let your right leg get up this morning. But when I finally get myself out of the bed and get my feet on the floor, the first thing I do is go to my knees. And the first thing I say is, Father, I want to thank you for a good night's rest and for now giving me the light of a new day. And I pray, my Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I know if God's kingdom is done and God's will is done in my life today, everything's going to be okay. Amen. Oh, give God praise. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now, I don't want to mislead you and make you think that if God's will is done, that it's always going to be easy. No, it's not even going to always be easy to pray that. You, you may have a battle with that sometimes. Jesus did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he struggled as he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he struggled until his sweat took on a purplish hue. And like great drops of blood dropped to the ground beneath him, he struggled and wrestled with it. it I, I didn't say it will always be easy. In 1971, in August of 1971, my wife and I ran a revival here in Augusta. It was August in Augusta. And it was a hot August in Augusta. I'm not going to tell you how hot it was, but it was miserably hot in Augusta. And when we finished that revival and we loaded our car and we had a newborn baby that had just been born in February and we got out headed towards Atlanta, we had actually been called by the overseer and assigned to our first church. So we were headed to a new pastorate. We were on the evangelistic field before that. As we headed up I-20 towards Atlanta, I turned to my wife and I said, I don't care if we never come back to this city. (laughs) 
It ain't fun in August in Augusta when it's really hot. And, and, that, that, and we agreed. We both agreed. We, we, we don't ever want to come back to Augusta. Never. April of 1975. A friend of mine came over on Sunday evening after we, our church service, and he said, could, could I use your church? I need to pray. He was an evangelist. He said, I need a place to pray. I've got a decision I've got to make, and I need to pray. I said, well, I'm sure you can use the church, but I'll be glad to pray with you. And we went over to, my, uh, to our church, and, and we prayed all night. Somewhere along about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Augusta. I rebuke you. <laughs> no. I, I didn't actually rebuke the Lord, but I sure didn't know for sure. I, I, I was, you know, we, we were struggling with that. But God made it clear, and God sent us back to Augusta. And that was in 1975. Now, it's not always easy to pray, yes, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But let me tell you this, when you can pray that and when it comes to pass, even if it's difficult, the end result is going to be for your good and for his glory. And I, yes, give God some praise on that. I can, I can tell you this morning, almost 43 years later, I can tell you that we love Augusta. It doesn't matter where we go in the world, and we've been blessed to go some places. We've been able to go to Hawaii, and we've been able to go to Alaska, and we've been able to go to some other countries and preach. But nowhere in the world is as appealing to us as getting back to Augusta. It's home. It's home. It's home. So, amen. So, so you go ahead, you go ahead and pray because you don't know what's best for you, but your heavenly father does and your heavenly father's already taking care of things ahead of time. Amen. We've lived here long enough. Now our blood's thinned out to where we can stand the heat, but we're about to freeze to death in this cold, but, 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 but God will take care. Now, let me close this way. Here, here's my conclusion. I, I want to tell you the kingdom of God should have top priority in your prayer list. Here's my conclusion. I want, to, I want to give you three things, and I'm going to put these on the screen. God has given you a will and a power to choose so you can be in whichever kingdom you want to be in. This is not a king that's going to take you over and force you to be. You, you, you're going to make the choice. Second thing I want you to know, we determine dominion. It's either our dominion or it's Satan's dominion or it's God's dominion. That's, I'm talking about our lives. But we make the choice. I was praying about this this week. One morning here in the early morning prayer time, uh, the, the Lord spoke to my heart and showed me a checkerboard. And I said, God, checkerboard? What's a checkerboard? He said, that's what some people's lives look like. He said, they got a little department over here where they maintain the dominion. I'm my own boss. I'm a self-made man. I pull myself up by the bootstraps. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'll do the, the things that some people have got. They, they control their own lives and their own death. They, they have, they're the king. You understand what I'm saying? 
And, 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 then, and then there's people who have other little compartments of their life. That's where I saw that checkerboard. They got some depart- compartments of their life where Satan is ruling. I mean, he's dominating them. You, you, you've just turned it over to him. You just let him. You just say, I, I just, I just, I'm not strong enough to fight that temptation. And you just give in to the devil. And he's controlling that compartment of your life. You've given him dominion in that area of your life. And, but but you're, you're, you're basically pretty good folks. So you've got, you've got other compartments of your life where you give God dominion. You say, oh, God, you can have Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. I'll be at church. And, and so you give God dominion over this part of your life. So some of you are good about tithing. You say, Lord, I give you, I give you dominion over, over, my, over my finances. But you've got all these other little compartments. Can I say this to you this morning? As long as your life is broken up like a checkerboard with all of these compartments, you will never be happy and fulfilled in life. And it will hinder you from reaching your destiny. So the best thing that any of us can do, and it's the only safe way to live, is to give God total dominion. Just just turn it over to God. Just admit that you're not smart enough to run your own life. You can't see all the, the pitfalls out there. So why don't you give it to somebody who can, and that's your heavenly father. Not only can he see, but he sees and cares. So just turn it over to him. And you don't have to be in subjection to the devil. God has given us power to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy so that nothing shall by any means hurt us. He ought to be under our feet. If you'll make up your mind to get in the kingdom of God and let God be the king and give him dominion over your life, he'll whip the devil for you. In fact, he defeated him 2,000 years ago. He can take care of him. He'll give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. They'll bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. Read the 91st Psalm, what God will do for you if you'll give him dominion. But he's not going to take over your life. You're going to have to give it to him. Please stand with me so I'll stop preaching. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come quickly. My time is gone. But I want to tell you why you need to consider this morning giving God total control and making him the king of your life. Because once you do that, now listen, once you do that, you can start living like a king's kid. Glory to God. Glory to God. I heard a a story that uh, I've shared it before, maybe not too long ago. I don't remember exactly when. But Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the great, great preachers of the late 1800s. In fact, before there were any mega churches, uh, they had to build a London tabernacle to seat the crowds that came to hear Spurgeon preach. He's known as one of the all-time greatest preachers. The Prince of Preachers is the title that he holds. Marvelous preacher. He had crowds of plus 20,000 way back in the late 1800s. Can you imagine? And um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he had, a, he had a member that was dying, a poor lady in his congregation. And she sent word to the church and she said, I'd, I'd love to see my pastor before I die. Would you ask my pastor if he'd come see me? Charles Haddon Spurgeon went down into the slums of London because that's where she lived. She was 
poverty stricken. She lived in a little shack of a house that was literally built with boxes that they just kind of pieced together and made up walls. And, and she lived in, in that little hubble. And she was dying physically. A lot of the reason for her disease and sickness was because she didn't have the funds for medical assist, assistance that she needed. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon came to see her before she died. And when he came in and he looked around and he saw this document that was framed on her wall. And he said to her, is that yours? And she said, yes, sir. Said, I'm so proud of that. Said, you see, pastor, many years ago, I worked for a royal, a part of the royal family told the lady's name, lady so-and-so that she worked for, said, I served her for better than 30 years and said, before she died, said, I served her till she died and said, before she died, the last thing she did, she wanted to make sure that I had this commendation from her. And she said, I'm so proud of it. I had it framed and it's been hanging on my wall. Dr. Spurgeon said, as your pastor could, could, could I take that, that frame document with me? He said, I'll bring it back to you. But, but could I, I, I want to do a little search on this. And she said, sure, pastor, just be sure and bring it back. Said, I'm so proud of that. And he carried it to the authorities. See, the woman couldn't read. And what that was, was a bequest that the royal family had left to this woman who had been a servant to one of the royals. And in that bequest, it left her a nice home, house, and provisions, and a bank account, and money enough to take care of every need that she had. Food, clothing, shelter, and, and, and health care, and everything that she would ever need for the rest of her life. And she was living in a hubble. She was living poverty stricken, dying because she didn't have proper nutrition, food and medical attention. And all the time she had hanging on her wall, a document that gave her everything she would ever need. Now, when, when, Mr. Spurgeon carried that to the authorities. They, they said, oh, man, we've been looking for that. We've been searching. Is that woman still alive? And, and, and they found out she was. And, of course, they made, her last few days were lavish living. But she could have been living like that all the time. She just didn't know it. And I'm looking out across this congregation this morning, and I have a feeling that I'm looking at a lot of folks that, you got one of these on your coffee table or on your nightstand by your bed or on, in, in your library or, or you, you probably got them all over your house and they're laying there and you're proud of them. You respect them. You, you know, you, 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 but, but you're not living up to what's in there. This is a testament. This is a covenant that was bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ with his own blood on the cross of Calvary that says to you, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, I'll take care of you. I'll meet every need. I, I, oh, glory to God. It's right here.
And we, we've been living so far beneath our privilege when all the time it's already been paid for. And it's ours. Jesus said, you need to stop worrying. Amen. I, I got it covered right here. Let me tell you, if you got a financial need right here, it is. You, you can live like a king's kid. You, you ought to. But you got to make up your mind to be a part of the kingdom. Not a checkerboard part, but you got to make it. If he's going to be Lord at all, he's got to be Lord of all. Amen. But oh, hear me this morning, church. When we make him Lord of all, when we start our day by saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When we declare that we will be anxious for nothing, but in everything, we'll give thanks to God with our prayer. And, and we'll just trust God and declare that what he says in this word, he means it. And what he says is mine is mine. And what he said I could have, I can have. Amen. And who I am in him, I am. Glory to God. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. We're children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Glory to God. Would you bow your head with me, please? The altar's open if you want to pray. Some of you need to come this morning and say, Jesus, I make you Lord. I declare this morning. Some of you just need to sell out. Some of you need to come give your heart to Jesus. Some of you need to come back to the Lord. Some of you need to come and make a confession to the Lord this morning. God, I've been all over the place. I, I'm trying to run my life, parts of it, and, and I've given in to the devil some other parts of it, and, and, and I'm still trying to hang on to you for other parts of it. But this morning, I'm going to make a break with everybody and everything except you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast all my cares upon you because I know you care for me. Whatever you need. If you're sick, come and get prayed for. Believe God for your healing. It's already provided for you in the atonement. If you're a child of the Most High God, you can exercise your faith. You have dominion over sickness and disease. And you can be healed. You can be whole. You can be well. You need a job. God's able to give you favor. You're a king's kid. Let's start acting like it. The altar's open. Brother Steve's going to lead us in a song. And you feel free to come forward and pray. We'll pray with you and for you and believe God in your behalf. God bless you.